For Beyond Profit, a podcast of the ANA Center for Brand Purpose, I'm Ken Bolliou. MasterCard's Chief Marketing and Communications Officer, Raja Rajamanar, minces no words when offering his view of the state of marketing. He says it's facing a bona fide crisis and only a complete reinvention will allow marketers to be successful. Raja provides a detailed path forward in his new book, Quantum Marketing, Mastering the New Marketing Mindset for Tomorrow's Consumers. Few marketers are as qualified as Raja to write about the transformation of marketing and the importance of purpose. The president of the World Federation of Advertisers, Raja was named by Forbes as one of the most influential CMOs in the world, and he was named Global Marketer of the Year by the WFA, among other accolades. His work has been featured by the Harvard Business School and the Yale School of Management and taught at more than 40 leading management schools around the world. Raja joins me to discuss MasterCard's focus on purpose, the key takeaways from his new book, and the lessons he's learned as a giant of the marketing industry. Raja, welcome to Beyond Profit. Thank you so much, Ken. Much appreciated having me here. Thrilled to have you here and congratulations on the new book. Hopefully sales are going well. that many folks who are my peers, CMOs at various companies and from the professors from various reputed colleges, they have all been lavishing praise on the book and how it is eye-opening. So I feel extremely grateful. <laughs> and I must say probably the one which lifted me off the ground a few feet was a comment from Ivan Pollard, who is the CMO of General uh, News. He says that this book will do to, uh, to your view of marketing what Copernicus's book did to our view of the world. Mm-hmm. It'll change it forever. Mm-hmm. Now, coming from a peer, for me, that is extremely gratifying and most you know, rewarding in many ways. I'm feeling very, very good about how the book has been received. And you know, being a marketing book, it all, of course has got appeal to the marketers and to some business leaders. So by definition, compared to a very broad business book, it is a little uh, focused. And from that perspective, I will not focus necessarily on volume. But yes, if it does make it any bestseller list, will I complain? Absolutely not. I'll take it. I do, Raj. I want to get into your book, but I first want to touch uh, purpose. So this is what I love about MasterCard. You not only have a brand purpose, you have a 128-word purpose manifesto. I've never seen anything like that, so I want you to talk a little bit about the genesis of that manifesto and how it unites and guides your organization. Price. 
priceless. Priceless is not about being expensive, but something is so valuable that you cannot put a price on it, right? And these are typically non-monetary in nature. And then we talked about possibilities because we want to really connect people to the possibilities that they can realize, which are truly priceless to them. And that's what we as a company should be. Mm-hmm. So that's a beautiful positioning statement. And that's what we have been trying to bring it to life. But then what we felt was that we cannot just stop at that statement. Otherwise, we'll be falling into the trap of that philosophy. We need to make specific characterizations of what that would mean, right? And so we actually wrote a manifesto saying that this is our manifesto as far as our purpose is concerned. Tangible, inspiring, positive, optimistic, and, you know, it sort of challenges or inspires people to say, this is what we are going to do in this company. And uh, so it was co-created again. So we could be drafted in marketing and communications, but then we actually had you know, a whole bunch of people, not just from the C-suite, but across the company, look into it, weigh in, give their feelings, because we want this to be owned by the entire company, right. not just by marketing and communications. And so that was the result of it, and we feel so good about it. Literally, it is sort of showing uh, showing the spotlight to where we are headed in a So there's one particular line from the manifesto, Raja, that really resonated with me. And it reads, we grow trust in every touch point, use data for good, and build networks that empower society. Isn't that the essence of what being a purposeful brand is all about? Couldn't that apply to anyone that wants to be purposeful? I think probably yes and no. It depends on the nature of the business that they have to apply it in their context. So for example, because we are a network, you actually see those words captured right there. And because we are a company where you use our products for various transactions and you interact with our company's products and services so often, we say every touch point, right? But there might not be that kind of an exact manifestation for some other product category or for some other company. The essence of what this particular sentence says, I guess at a very philosophical level, is absolutely applicable to any brand. But what we did is we made it our own, which really brought our company's thought to life and put it in the context of our business. So for example, when you look at data, yeah, every company talks about data analytics, but what we're talking about is, yes, we have the privilege of having a lot of data passed through our network, but we want to be responsible about it. And we also want to leverage it for the good of the society. It's not just for enhancement of our own business. Now that's making a powerful statement. We have something called data philanthropy as one of the key things that we do. So we are approaching, I know everything that we do, connecting it back to this manifesto, which in turn is derived from our overall brand purpose statement, which is just those four words. So as you know, Raja, the world turned upside down about a year ago, and you said at the height of the pandemic, now is not the time to sell, but to serve. So what do you tell marketers now? What's your message as we move closer to a post-pandemic world? I think, firstly, when people are vulnerable, you have to serve them, support them, sell something to them, nor do you exploit them. Very honestly, I have experienced myself as a consumer where there have been companies which were very exploitative and extremely short-sighted. And also there were companies which were trying to push things and say, hey, you have to buy this. You want to, I understand the sales pressure that every company has got. So because we are not living at MasterCard in a vacuum either, we have got our goals, we have got our financial commitments that we have to fulfill and to our stakeholders and all those things are there, which is true for any company. But crisis is a time when you focus and you approach things very differently. Crisis is not a time when people are feeling vulnerable to sell. It is really the time to sell. If you can help them, help them. Now, you go to them and say, go with us 
real the attitude of service when you do that and follows through if there are any asks from their side what that does is magical it builds a deep trust between you and your customers that trust will pay you back in oodles when the good times come back people when they are in trouble they remember the people who help and typically people are grateful and they reciprocate so from that perspective i think actually trust building is so critical mm-hmm. and crisis is a moment of trust building mm-hmm. it is not of getting sales go so that's how i would look at it now as we are you know hopefully that we are not fully out of the words we don't know if we will be fully out of the words and come back to the same levels as before or will be 80% there 90% there who knows right but the key thing is as we are coming hopefully closer to normalcy over the next few months i think companies have to really start gearing up again for full action and absolutely you know utilize the rest of the time between now and normalcy to invest in building those connections building those bonds with their customers with their mm-hmm. clients with their prospects let them know that they will be there when we come out of the other side of the crisis that they are ready, ready and on standby to serve them mm-hmm. and, and i think that will resonate very well outside that how they approach Raja, when you look back at uh, you know the past year, have you been happy with the creative you're seeing from brands? Do you think that they've been heeding the message that you had at the beginning? So in other words, are you I, happy, you know, as we move forward that you think that the industry's in a good place? No, I don't believe honestly that the industry has been doing best what it could at multiple levels. So I think many brands have suddenly gone dark. It is not a smart thing to do in a crisis, right? In a crisis, your customers and consumers expect you to be visible and sharp. If you go dark, you go out of their mind. And getting back into their mind and reclaiming and regaining the salience is a far more difficult effort. So there were one set of companies which did that. The second set of companies, I would say, is where they wanted to be visible, which is good, but jumping on to topics which are considered to be very current and politically correct. So if everyone is talking about Black Lives Matter, okay, let me also jump onto the bandwagon and talk about that topic. Or if everyone is talking about small businesses, let me talk about it. Or healthcare workers, frontline workers mm-hmm. in healthcare, you talk about that. No, it's absolutely fine if you want to talk of uh, talking about any one of these topics. But there are three things you have to keep in mind. A, you have to be authentic. You cannot be opportunistic. because people are not idiots they see through you they see they see through the facade so a brand has to find its authentic expression whatever be the thing second they have to not just talk but do something about it consumers are repeatedly telling don't throw ads at me do something about what you believe is good for the society and the third one i would say is because everyone was anxious and eager to jump on everyone was looking like everybody else it was a sea of same so why did you even spend that money you could have conserved that powder and use it for something different and something better so i would say that was the second thing there have been some companies of course which have been doing a fantastic job with it is for moving their production capacities to you know produce either you know hand sanitizers or producing masks or you know doing something good for the they were actually voting with their dollars they were actually contributing and or they were actually creating some support systems and so on and so forth and in the process they were also getting a good amount of earned media mm-hmm. so i would say that's how companies would be but i would say probably i would give our industry in total probably marks on the relatively lower side below 50% if you ask me how we did as an industry collectively and as brands collectively during the pandemic well i think that's a great segue into your new book quantum marketing you argue that there's a crisis of confidence in marketing and that a reinvention is imminent what are the factors that contribute to marketing losing its way so here is for the facts and then the factors right if you look at the facts that recent surveys have shown that more than 
than 70% of CEOs of companies have stated that they had no confidence in their CMOs or in their marketing teams to drive growth. Now, that to me is a very sad state of perception on the CEO's part. And that's something which is not good for marketing as a craft and as a function. Number two, many companies have done away with the roles of CMOs, right? And these are not some obscure industrial product companies, but these are hardcore packaged goods companies, blue chip marketing companies, including as an example, Johnson & Johnson. Number three, marketing as a function has been fragmented. We used to talk in the old days of the four P's of marketing, mm-hmm. Jim Kotler, right? A great framework that stood the test of time for decades. Now here we are where many companies have products outside of marketing. Many companies have uh, pricing outside of marketing. Pricing is done either by products or by sales or by finance. Then place, which is distribution. Marketing doesn't touch distribution. It's done by a different department. Marketing is barely hanging on to one thing, which is promotion. And that too, as I would say, thematic promotions, whereas schematic promotions are being done by salespeople. Now, in this kind of a situation, when CEOs say they don't have confidence, they're replacing CMOs, are eliminating the roles, or even replacing and bringing new people called chief revenue officer, chief growth officer, chief customer officer. So if you take away growth revenue and customers, what else is left in marketing? And then you are talking about marketing being fragmented. So we are in an existential crisis. There is no doubt in my mind. The reason, the factors that led us to this uh, particular situation is I think it started probably with the beginning of what I call is the third paradigm of marketing in the mid-1990s. Till mid-1990s, now marketing was essentially qualitative in nature. You're operating from creativity, from aesthetics and psychology and brand positioning, all the fiber and software aspects which are beautiful. That is what was the core and strength of marketing. But then, 1990s, the third paradigm was ushered in by two big revolutions. Number one, internet, which was very technology driven. And number two was data analytics, which suddenly came into the field of marketing. Till then, it used to be the purview of economists, scientists, the geeks and the nerds. But now it came into marketing. Now, marketers, because of their classical training of being right-brained thinking, whereas analytics and data, data analytics and technology, which is in this case internet, they're left brain, they could not catch up with that. A lot of companies started coming out of Silicon Valley. These are young kids or other kinds of companies that were coming around. They're technology companies or data companies, and they were telling marketing what to do. They were setting the agenda. Marketers were struggling to catch up. That's number one. Then, the fourth paradigm, which has been ushered in 2007 with the launch of iPhones on the one hand, which suddenly brought about mobile-connected devices uh, into the world, like uh, an absolute, what you call, uh, uh, universal presence. And then you got the social media with Facebook having scaled in 2007. So between social media and mobile, marketing became even more different. And then it was more technology, even more data. Marketers have really struggled to keep up. Now what happened is, when these technologies started emerging, the smaller companies, thanks to social media, marketing influence, marketing and so on, they have been able to really give a run for the money of very large companies as well. Competition has become more intense as it is bound to. Now when competition is big, the CEOs and the CFOs are under pressure. They come to marketing and say, hey, we are giving you tens if not hundreds of millions of dollars. What are you contributing to the company? Many of the marketers that I have seen this and I discussed this with my peers as well, which is they are not competent enough to answer those questions in quantitative terms. And they simply say, oh, you know, my brand awareness has gone up or my net promoter score has gone up. These are very good marketing answers, but they are not the right answers for the financial question. A financial question or a business question demands a business answer or a financial answer, not a marketing answer. Unless you connect the dots between your marketing
driving actions to the business outcomes, we have our traveler. And that's exactly what's happened. So what happens when a CEO, the CMO goes, for example, to the CEO, CEO says, okay, tell me what's the ROI or what's going to happen. And if you look like a deer caught in headlights, you have not only lost your credibility, your function has lost its credibility and eventually the seat at the table. And that's exactly what has been happening. And that's its reality. Even today, for example, I asked some of my peers, put your hand under your heart and tell me, do you really understand what goes on inside programmatic or is it a black box for you? Programmatic is not even new. They say, well, I'm not sure, right? Do you know the difference between AI, machine learning, or do you know enough about AI if a vendor is coming to you and says, my solution is powered by AI, are you able to ask the right question? And if the answers are there, are you able to make out the difference between what is substance and what is fluff? The answer is very little, right? So we got this issue where as marketers, we have somewhat done it to ourselves by not keeping abreast with the development and somebody else is taking that data from our hands. Mm -hmm. So this is a long-winded answer to your question as to the factors that led us to where we are. So in light of all that, Raja, what is marketing's true purpose? And what will it take to get a new wave of marketers, you know, into the industry and excited about it? To me, marketing is the steward of the company's brand. It has got basically, if you look at ultimate object, ultimate purpose of marketing is to bring the purpose of the company to life. Whatever is the purpose of the company, you bring it to life. That's what marketing. How does it do? So three pillars. Number one, it builds, nurtures, and protects the brand or brands, depending on the company. Number two, it fuels the business. It is a force multiplier for the business. It drives the business. Number three, it builds sustainable competitive advantage for the company. Whatever be the platforms, whatever be the methodologies, there will be a competitive edge that is driven by marketing, that's created and driven by marketing for the company to stay ahead of competition and ahead of the race. This is what marketing should be doing. Now, how does marketing get there in a real sense? I think first and foremost, it is a high time that we as marketers have to educate ourselves very rapidly and come up the curve. We have to learn at least enough uh, about these various emerging technologies and about the various aspects that you are expected to know as a marketer in this age compared to what it was even 10, 15 years back. Today's marketer is not a specialist. Today's marketer is a general manager who understands technology, who understands data, who understands how the business makes money and what the margins are and so on. The person understands public relations and the person also understands marketing very deeply. So it is a general manager with a deep specialization in marketing as opposed to a marketing specialist. So this individual, if for example you are a CMO, you need to really quickly get your head around all these areas. And if you are not able to, at least have people under you and that collectively as a team, you are complementing each other and in total, you are a robust marketing organization that's like Leonardo da Vinci. You may not be individually a Leonardo da Vinci, but collectively as a team, you could be a Leonardo da Vinci, which means you are able to do the engineering side and the particular art side, like you know, the science and the art. So here you're talking about the right brain and the left brain, the data and the creativity, you know, and you've got technology and you've got science. You need to have organizations that are tailored for that. But you cannot delegate your knowledge. You, you cannot delegate knowledge to all You have to learn. You cannot be ignorant. At this stage in my life right now, can I spend five hours every single weekend trying to learn? Either I attend some master class or I'm taking a course or a course, I'm reading some books, I'm reading some papers, not to entertain myself but to educate myself because the world is passing us by so quickly and we are about to enter the fifth paradigm. You know, if you look at the previous paradigm, every paradigm was powered by two big technologies. Like paradigm three was data and internet, or data analytics and internet. Paradigm four was by mobile and social. 
now paradigm 5 is going to be ushered in by two dozen technologies you talk about ai artificial intelligence and various versions of augmented intelligence correct whatever it is then you talk about virtual reality mixed reality extended reality whatever the realities are then you are talking about augmented reality then you are talking about drones you are talking about autonomous cars internet of things wearables smart speakers you know 3d printing 5g there are so many things which are coming at us like a deluge if you don't understand them and stay on top of it you risk becoming obsolete very rapidly mm-hmm. so you have to invest to stay ahead to learn and to be there number one number two build the things number three start playing with this right from now ai and the good thing is like for example things like ai mm-hmm. you can dip your toes into the field and do a few pilots just to get yourself up the curve without having got to spend a boatload of money because these days capital investment required for using technology is very low if at all you can rent the services you can pay as you go everything is cloud based you should take full advantage of these kind of things when you leverage these technologies properly when you understand the data properly you can create magic and really be thriving in this impending paradigm five so on one hand it is extremely and exceedingly inspiring and exciting and on the other hand if you don't catch up it is very very threatening and you can become obsolete so that's where we are I assume, Raja, that the same applies to the role of agencies, correct? To stay curious, to educate yourself, to always be out in front of what's happening? Absolutely. And agency world is also going through an upheaval, right? We're not, for example, consulting firms like Accenture and Deloitte. They are gobbling up agencies and they are providing those services end-to-end, including fulfillment. Now, agencies, on the other hand, they have started now acquiring data. For example, McCann went and bought Axios. So they are broadening their presence in that space. So there is a redefinition of what an agency is, where it begins, where it ends. There is a lot of insourcing that is happening by many companies. They're saying, why should I give it to the agency? Let me do it in-house because I'm going to save money. It'll be much faster, whatever their reasons are. And then you have got some of the social media platforms coming to you and saying, you're anyway investing money with me. Let me give you creative services for a fraction of the cost, if at all, of what your agency does. So there are so many things which are actually happening in the agency world that they have to figure out because they do, they do have existential crisis just like the overall field of marketing is and they are very much a part of the ecosystem my philosophy is basically an agency is nothing but an extended part of your team they bring complementary skills complementary competencies and they actually produce terrific stuff that will make you look good and get you the results that you desire so the partnership between agency and the brand is very critical most often if you treat them like vendors you don't get the value you treat them as an extended part of your team to create magic and i think that's what i would say agency's front. Raj, I wanted to ask you, you're a member of the CMO Global Growth Council. There's been a lot of talk in the industry about this whole notion of brands for humans, sort of an evolution of B2B and B2C. I'd like to hear your thoughts on that and whether that's something that the whole industry can rally around or that's exactly what you're trying to do. When you look at consumer marketing and when you look at B2B marketing, in fact, when I wrote this book, some people said, oh, is it applicable for B2B? I have actually written a full page, a chapter on B2B marketing. Now, what I say is that in this day and age, businesses are still managed by human beings. When computers and robots take over, that's a different situation. We don't know when it will happen, 50 years, 100 years, not in our lifetimes, hopefully. But the person who is sitting on the other side in a business or persons who are sitting on the other side of the business, when they are deciding, they are making decisions as to what to buy, what not to buy, etc. Remember, they are human beings. They think like human beings, they behave like human beings. However, B2B marketers I have seen, they immediately assume that they are talking to a business entity. Their tone changes. The marketing material becomes very uninteresting and rich in data and very low on emotion. I think that's a complete mistake. You have to humanize 
That's when the success will be there, number one. When you look at consumers again, now we do consumer studies, consumer research, and so on and so forth. And I think that is actually not the right way to look at it. A consumer, when you're looking at a consumer study, you are studying somebody's attitudes, usage, behavior in the context of consumption. But consumption is a tiny sliver of an individual's overall living. What happens outside of that sliver of consumption impacts more of what happens inside consumption than you can imagine. So the key thing is you have to look at consumers in totality as human beings and understand. So when you have got that kind of an approach, you don't get boxed into product categories. You're not just pushing incremental improvements, but you're actually making dimensional changes. Apple is a classical example. They collapsed different industries into one single product and multiple industries just get wiped out are totally transformed, right? So the future is essentially that, which is consumers don't want to compartmentalize their life. They want holistic solutions for themselves. And whatever gives the solution, they just take it. Whatever is most convenient, most relevant across multiple areas of their life. So the way you approach consumer marketing should also be very different than it has been or it is today. Even more so on the B2B side. Lastly, Raja, I mentioned at the top that you've had an illustrious career. I would love for you to be able to share a few of the lessons that you've learned that will serve the next generation of the market as well. I'm happy to. You know, I think, you know, I have tried to emulate some of my seniors, you know, who are probably most of them that have retired, or some of my peers who I really admire. And uh, here are some things that are the key takeaways for me and which I try to practice in my own life. The first thing is, as a marketer, you are in a very uh, privileged position. You have access, you have the resources, you have influence, and you have capabilities to shape cultures of societies. I think all that privilege comes with a responsibility. The responsibility is to do something good for the society. Why do you do it? It's not because it's politically correct or because it gives you some better return for your business. You do good, you do good because you're in a position to do good. And in the process, you do well. So when you talk about doing well by doing good, that's exactly what you have to do. As marketers, we have that unique privilege. Very few functions can even claim to have that kind of uh, opportunity, number one. Number two, the world is changing constantly, and it is accelerating even more. Stay on top of it. Learn, learn, learn. Have that lifelong curiosity to learn, and devote time and effort to learn. Learning will be really essential for the future. Number three, I think as an executive, you are stressed. You've got so many things you know, that you have to balance in life. Most, many people, particularly in the younger crowd, they go like the invincibles. They say, you know, either they feel like heroes or heroines if they are working for 18 hours a day, 20 hours a day, etc. I think that is stupid. Your life is much broader than just your work. Do a fantastic job on your work, but don't make it the sole thing in your life. It cannot be your sole anchor for getting significance and gaining significance in life. You have to approach life holistically. I would say, for example, invest time in eating well. Invest time in exercising and working out. Invest time in meditation. Invest time in recreation. Invest time in building relationships. These are the things which will really stand you in a fantastic stead. You know, normally the hypothesis is, in fact, I read a book uh, which was fascinating. It said that the author was writing that, you know, people feel that I work very hard, then I get promoted, I get more money, I can buy things, and then I do, do, and so on, and so on. And then eventually I feel very happy. Actually, happiness is not a destination. It's a state of mind. If you are happy, the reality is you become more successful as opposed to other way around where you become more successful and then you become happy. It's a profound thing if 
you're raising one over it, you'll think about it, right? So I would say people have to invest in themselves to introspect and to define their lives properly. And I think, you know, this is something which I would urge, particularly the younger generations to have a long runway ahead of them. And last point I would actually say is our craft is probably one of the noblest crafts out there because hmm. we are a huge, we, we facilitate a gigantic economy all around. We can be really a force for growth for our companies, but also a force for the good for the society. And most importantly, what I would say is that we should operate with the highest levels, therefore, of integrity and ethics. Many, there are, you know, marketing has actually earned a bad rap. There were some surveys which actually a and where marketing is seen to be some kind of a calm game, which it is not, but that's a perception we give because there are brands which have deceptive, deceptive marketing practices. Deception is not needed to succeed. You can succeed the right way and very elegantly so. So I would say that ethics and integrity, not just by the rule of the law, the word of the law, but by the spirit, we have to do it. I would say these would be some of my takeaways or key points that I would request all the marketers, particularly the ones who are coming into marketing at this point in time and growing their way through marketing to embrace wholeheartedly and practice. Thank you so much, Raja. What terrific advice. And I greatly appreciate you joining me in the Beyond Profit podcast. Thank you so much, Ken. Absolutely. Pleasure to be here with you. Thank you for having me. To order a copy of Raja's new book, please visit www.quantummarketingthebook.com. That's www.quantummarketingthebook.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.